2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got different stages of problems. And that verse is referencing the fact that if you've asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, that within this human body, you have a power and presence of God within you. And God has hidden it in such a unique way that nobody would think of looking there. Now, isn't that true for a lot of us that people are very surprised when they find God in us? Whoa, what a shock. So, this morning, I want to address the subject of lessons we can learn when things go wrong. Have you ever had one of those days? You were perplexed or persecuted and things were going so badly against you and you feel like nobody understands, nobody knows what I'm going through. Ever had one? Now, how many of you have one right now? Mm. Hey, the fact is we all face those days. And if we're not careful, our lives will begin to be organized around the problems we have. We begin to focus so much on the problem we have, we lose sight of the presence of God that we have. I've never had anybody anywhere, anytime tell me they had no problems. And the reason is, Everybody is subject to problems. And we go through processes where the enemy wants me to think my problem is unique or nobody really knows what I'm going through or we think that no one has ever faced it before. And he wants to isolate you so he can discourage and depress you. So we begin to focus on the uniqueness of our problem and we forget the greatest truth that God has answers for our problems. And if we're not careful, although we can be Christian, we can live as though there were no Christ. You know, in life, we go through some things that can seem awfully tough to us, but God still has some answers. In life, we all tend to think that, well, my life is unique, and what I'm going through, no, they haven't ever been through this. But everybody is dealing with stuff. You know, I don't know how cute somebody looks or how pretty somebody looks or how together another couple looks. If we could just get inside of them for about 15 minutes, you'll find out, ooh, they got stuff. Everybody got stuff. Uh, In different areas, of course, different kinds, but there's just no such thing. But the enemy wants me to believe it's better over there. If I had him, it'd be better. If I had her, it'd be better. No, I wouldn't be any better. No, I wouldn't be any better. But the enemy tells me that, tells you that too, right? Sure. They don't know. He wants me to get into a little self-pity. So lesson one is that life doesn't play fair. Every gambler knows when you're playing against the house, one of the things you know is that the dice are usually loaded and the deck has been stacked, right? That's what Eric tells me. I don't gamble, so I don't really know. (laughs) So you can't approach life in your own ability and strength because it's not going to be fair. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. 
but suck it up. No, he didn't. He says, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. He's saying, although you're a Christian, you won't escape dealing with tough issues in life. But in the midst of these issues, your courage comes from the fact he's given us ways to overcome in life. Author Scott Beck, in his book that was widely distributed called The Road Less Traveled, writes this, life is difficult. This is a great truth. And it's a great truth because once we see the truth, we transcend it. Once we know absolutely life is difficult, once I accept that fact, then life is no longer difficult because once it's accepted that life is difficult, no longer really matters. You know, so I know life's tough. Whether it's your life or mine, every one of us faces pressure and problems. Even if you're only seven years old and your pet goldfish dies, you got a problem. You think you have a problem. So if we can understand the origin and the nature of a problem, it gives me insight to the kind of a solution I need to resolve that problem. Not all problems have the same origin. Some problems are self-inflicted. Yeah, we don't like to admit it, but the fact is some of us create our own drama. It's amazing how often some of us can shoot ourselves in the foot that you can still walk. The Chicago Tribune a couple of years ago ran this article on Bruce Walker, defensive lineman from the New England Patriots. It said he sustained a stab wound in his chest while he and a friend were throwing steak knives at each other on a Saturday evening. Now, folks, I love sports, but that intrigued me. What was the thought pattern that went in to arrive at this evening of fun and activity? Can you hear Bruce and his pal talking? What do you want to do tonight, Bruce? I don't know. You want to go eat? Nah, we eat all the time. You want to go to the movie? Nah, let's stay home and play catch. You got a football? Nah, how about steak knives? <laughs> the police said Walker was injured when he missed the catch. Wow, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That's why Bruce is a defensive lineman, never could catch. The police said, I love this, Walker didn't provide many details about the incident. I mean, Lord, what are you going to say? You've already demonstrated your level of ignorance. Why go any further? I'm not talking. Well, maybe not to that extent, but some of us have been known to create our own problem. Would you agree? Everybody has done something. You know, choices have consequences. I know, I know we love it. I can do what I want to do. I'm going to do it. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Okay. You're free. You are. You're free to make any choice you want. And the problem is you're not free to choose the consequences. So, you know, you, you can hurt yourself. You can get fired from a job. You can end up in a divorce. You can end up in jail. All kinds of problems because of bad choices. Self-inflicted. Some problems are a result of just ignorance. Even God says in Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You, you get into something, you don't know much about it, and you're not knowledgeable about it, and it caused problems. And then some problems are the result of other people. H have you come to the realization that everybody's not happy you're on planet Earth? Yeah. Charlie Brown, the comic strip character, has a problem, and it's always Lucy. And Lucy's always putting Charlie down. And she says, you're a foul ball in the line drive of life. Line drive of life. You're a three-putt on the 18th green. 
You're a miscue in billiards. You're a fumble on the one-yard line. Charlie Brown, do you get my point? See, Lucy causes lots of trouble for Charlie. And every now and then you run up against somebody who doesn't like you. And that causes problems. Hey, by the way, there's over seven and a half billion people on the planet. Lord Jesus, if a few people don't like you, you can get over it, okay? I mean, the world is not against you. All right. And sometimes problems are just caused by life. It's not that you did anything wrong. It's not you were ignorant. It's not you made a bad choice. It's not anybody was against you. It's just the fact we live on a planet that's been shaken by sin. And because sin's in the world, stuff happens. It does, like on 281. Somebody drove into the back of me on the thing, and I thought, no, the devil's not against me. I was driving the speed limit, but it's stop and go, and somebody behind me was talking to somebody in the car, and they, they went go when they should have stopped and ran in the back of me. It happens. One of the guys on the security team says, you got a bolt in your tire. Oh, Lord Jesus, the devil's against me. The whole world's against me. No, we got trucks and contractors up and down these roads, right? And it just happens. So I didn't go into a fetal position, get Maalox, get me a pacifier, suck my thumb, and go home. It's just life. It's just things get broken. Things happen, and there is nobody at fault. Remember in John chapter 9, the disciples asked Jesus about a blind man? Typical religious people. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. See, we live in a world where Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And because of it, everybody faces pressure and problems. And when we face them, we have to understand the origin of those problems. We don't like to admit it, but problems make you grow. And sadly, some people wouldn't grow at all if they didn't have a problem. Most people don't grow to the size of their potential. They grow only to the size of their problems. Because without a problem, they wouldn't be growing. David put it this way in the Psalms. I was enlarged in success. No. I was enlarged in distress. God wants to increase your capacity, not limit it. So think about trying to put a size 8 body in a size 6 dress. You got to enlarge the capacity of that dress, right? Oh, come on. It's, you gotta, it's painful, and you got to stretch that fabric to, to hold that size 8 in a size 6. Well, imagine God trying to get you bigger. And, and it, it, it's like going to the gym. If you don't push any opposition, you don't grow muscle. You don't get stronger. You don't get bigger. So some pressure is God's way of allowing it in order to help you get bigger. Get your faith up. Get your strength up. Get your confidence. Get your hope up that God can do bigger things than where you're living. So problems can also be a blessing. You know, several years ago, an experiment was tried on the biosphere. It was an attempt to put people into a perfect environment and see what would happen. However, it totally failed. And one reason was that the trees that they depended on for fruit died. And the reason they died was there's no wind in the biosphere. And without wind, trees can't survive. 
Wind causes the tree to get its nourishment forced up from the root system. And there's something about the pressure of a tree having to bend under the force of wind that caused the nourishment to work its way up. Uh, when I was out in Portland, Oregon speaking, uh, they've got great lumber producers out there. And lumber people have this saying, if you want good wood, it comes from strong wind. Now, we want good wood in our society, but we don't want to endure strong winds. So we become weak, anemic, passive, and boy, do we like to just wave the white flag and surrender. You burn that white flag before we're through. You're not going to surrender to anything. We may not like it. We may not enjoy it, but there are people who have done more for our prayer life than we could ever thank them for. <laughs> so life doesn't play fair. Everybody faces pressure and problems, and we need to understand the origin of the problem because problems force us to grow. So when problems come, we got to develop a strategy for problem solving. If you know, listen, if you know problems are going to come, they're a fact of life, why not have a strategy to solve them? Look at the screen. In the book, Returned with Honor, deals with Captain Scott O'Grady, who tells how he survived after his F-16 was shot down over Bosnia. Now, Scott, who is a born-again Christian, is on a routine patrol over a no-fly zone in his F-16. There's a heavy cloud cover that day, and to his surprise, his radar detects that a surface-to-air missile has locked on him, and that buzzer is going off. Now, an F-16 has several countermeasures on it, and to make a missile miss the target, the most effective countermeasure is a hard 90-degree right turn because a missile, big 20-foot missile, can't make a 90-degree turn. But you got to be able to see the missile to know which way to go. But because of heavy cloud cover, Scott couldn't see where the missile was coming from. So he immediately climbed for altitude, hoping to spot the missile. So a SAM-20, SAM is surface-to-air missile, a SAM-20 is about the size of a telephone pole, and it's coming at the speed of sound. And when it comes through the clouds, that sucker is right on his nose, and he has no chance to deviate. His plane gets hit, Scott ejects. As he ejects, he's falling into hostile territory behind enemy lines. So Scott goes through the book talking about things he did to survive his problem. And those are things we're told to do as Christians as well whenever we have to deal with the problem. And the strategy Scott had to handle his problem are the kinds of things God wants to implement in our lives so we can handle the different kind of problems we're all going to have and face. So let's look at Scott O'Grady's strategy. First, pretty simple. He had to stay clear-minded. You're under pressure. You can't lose your mind. Scott said as he ejected and started floating down, he started feeling a lot of emotions. I bet he did. And not one of them was good. He knew that if he gave in to those emotions, there was no chance of surviving the problem. So he had to refuse the feeling of panic. Now, that sounds simple, I know. But if you're going to handle a problem, you can't freak out in the midst of it. If you lose your head, you've lost the battle. Don't 
lose it. I can recognize I have a serious problem without freaking out. You know, uh, in, in water safety instructor and all our training, my training years ago, first rule, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. When things go wrong in the airplane, you blow the engine, there's a fire, whatever, fly the airplane first, don't panic. You got to think. If you watch films of test pilots in new aircraft and some of them died, you will never hear them screaming. They are so focused on what's wrong and trying to resolve it, they, they're trying to stay clear-headed. I remember my next-door neighbor when uh, Dr. Yarrington, they had little Brookie, and Brookie was about that big. That tells you how old I am, but she was about that big. And she jumped up on the sideboard of the SUV of her mama, who was just pulling in real slow to the driveway. But being a little girl, she fell off onto the driveway, hit her head, knocked herself out. Well, I hear all this screaming. Mama's screaming out there. A couple of the kids that are older, they're screaming. My wife runs out. She's screaming. And I'm running and running and running out to cross the street over to the yard to get to Brookie. And I thought, somebody calm down. You can't fix this problem. Everybody's screaming. But I you no panic. You know, pick her up. Is she bleeding? Is there anything up here broken? No, no. First, then I'd stop the bleeding. But number two, let, get her down. Get those feet elevated. Put some, oh, check her eyes. Call nine, Call Bob. You're, he's a doctor. Call him and said, hey, I got Brookie. She's on my couch. I'm with him. If you could just shut up all these women around me. And he calmed down. And I just never raised my voice and everything I prayed over. And, of course, she had just been knocked out. But uh, I... You, you just stay calm. I've had people impaled with a picket fence right through their side. Oh, don't panic. Let me tell you something I've learned about problems. I'm old enough to have an opinion. My wife said, my wife said, he may not be right, but he's never in doubt. Okay, but I forgot what I was going to say. What was I going to say? Huh? Yeah, you, well, all I, all I can tell you is that you, you can't solve the problem if you're freaking out. You got to result. You got to be quiet. It, oh, it just came back. <laughs> it ran by again. I got it. Yeah, it's never as bad as you think it is. It's never as bad as the enemy wants you to think it is. I don't care what it is. You can survive it. It's not as bad as you think it is. So, 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 so don't let him freak you out. Now, when Scott hit the ground, the paramilitary is all around him looking for him. And as soon as he lands, he immediately grabs his parachute, hides it so they won't have a location to work their search from. He immediately hides himself, and he said in seconds, there are people five feet from where he's hiding. And Scott said the emotion to lose it was overwhelming. But he said he handled the emotion by encouraging himself. It kind of reminds me of David. When he's about to be stoned by his own troops, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And sometimes you don't have anybody, and you'll have to do it to yourself. 
I quote scripture to myself. Sometimes I know exactly the address. Sometimes I don't remember the address, but I remember the word, and I will quote it out loud. I will let the enemy know I know, and it renews my mind when I say it. I have to encourage myself. God loves me. God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I have a hope and a future. He's going to do me good, not evil. I have a defeated enemy. I'm, I'm trying to bring myself at peace in a freaky situation and not panic, and encourage myself. He said he reminded himself of a friend who had bailed out over hostile territory with a broken leg. And for six days with a broken leg, this guy crawled to safety. And Scott kept saying, well, I'm in great shape. I'm not hurt. I'm better off than he was. He made it. I'll make it. And that's another way to encourage yourself too. There are people who have survived divorce in here. And are thriving. There are people who have been laid off, lost a job through no bad behavior of theirs and, and loaded in life. And then God's come through after some difficulty and rewarded them with, with a great job. There are people who have survived breast cancer in here. Others who have survived prostate cancer. People who have gone through the loss of a child. All kinds of things. You know what? Let those people encourage you. If you are suddenly in such a situation, and, and if I've been through it, I want to use the pain that I went through and God's grace to come through to help encourage you. If God comforted me, then I'm going to use that same comfort to comfort you. I don't know about you, but there are people who try to comfort you, but they're miserable about it. But there are people that I want to be near me who have already been through what I'm going through and made it. It really means a lot when they come alongside of you, doesn't it? put their hand on your shoulder and said, hey, this isn't theological. I've been there too. I know how you are feeling. I really know. And it's, you're going to make it. It's not easy, but you're going to make it. Now, that means a lot to me. Here's the biblical principle. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence in the Lord. No matter what happens, remember the great reward it brings you. He says, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep your confidence. And the reward is that God will always provide a way of escape. He says, there is no testing except that is common demand, but God will not put more on you than you're able to bear, but will with that test make a way of escape. It may not be cute, pretty, or comfortable, but he will get you through it. That's important to know. Secondly, if he is a designer and a creator of this earth and the universe and us, he's the architect. Architects know how to draw something so that it can take stresses, a bridge, a tall building. They, they understand weight and, and wind and stresses so a structure can stand. So I've always remembered that saying, I've heard people say, well, my God, if that happened to me, I'd just give up. Well, then it ain't going to happen to you because God says, I made you, I designed you, you can take this. I will not allow more to be put on you than you are able to bear. Would you please put that in your computer? Oh, I don't know. Here, I don't know. When I was younger, probably said, Lord, I can't take another day of this. And it's like the Lord says, oh, really? Let's watch and see. I bet you can. I never pray that. Lord, I can't take it anymore. Never pray that. Ever. Because he'll then show up to prove, I built you. I know you can take a lot more than that. 
You don't want to learn that lesson, right? I'll just take his word for it. And remember, it had to come through him to get to me, so I'm good. If it came through my father who made me and has a plan for me, I'm good. Because he knows what he's doing. It may delay me, it might hurt me, but it isn't going to kill me. Not without his permission. He even told the devil, personally, you can touch Job, but you can't kill him. You know, you've got a hedge around you. I wish you'd, I mean, the devil is on a leash. He's not totally unrestricted. He doesn't have a total security clearance to the highest levels. He, he can only do what the Father permits him to do. He's a defeated enemy. I mean, he can cause all kinds of problems in hell, but he can't do anything without God's permission to a child of God. He cannot. So I, I keep myself kind of encouraged. Okay, point number two in strategy. Scott remembered what he had been taught. Now that's a real thought for this crowd this morning. He remembered what he had been taught. All military fighter pilots are taken through weeks of survival training. It teaches them how to survive, not naked and afraid, though. All right, just how to survive. So here's what Scott said. It's like being in church. You never appreciate what you've been taught until you face the problem. So Scott forced himself to relive those days in survival school. And he said, I began to remember what I'd been taught. And folks, every week you've been coming to church. God has been putting something in your heart. He's ingraining into you principles on how you to live your life and how to operate when your life is under pressure and in crisis. And some people just don't remember. Uh, there was a movie with Gene Hackman, whom I love. Owen Wilson played Scott O'Brady, O'Grady, who was shot down. We'd just been talking about him. And Gene Hackman is the commander of the aircraft carrier that that F-16 took off from. And now... Owen is behind enemy lines on his walkie-talkie, talking to the commander on the aircraft carrier, and he's been shot down, and here's Gene Hackman talking to him. Zero six, you are a combat naval aviator. Start acting like one. You've been shot down. Life is tough. I'm very sorry. But you pull yourself together. You do whatever it takes. Create some angles between you and your pursuers. Use your training, use your head. Evade and survive, and we will bring you home. Do you understand? We will bring you home. Woo! Don't you love that? Now, that's some pretty smart talk. Remember your training. Put some angles between you. You know, we're going to get you back. Now, I'm not talking to anybody that's a brand new Christian, but I'm talking to many of you who've been Christians for years for crying out loud, a soft answer turns away wrath. And you remember that? It talks about how to handle our money and about our, our, our dealing with, with lack. We have seed. We can sow. We can reap. Uh, how to deal with our children. How to deal in marriage. Dwell with your wife in an understanding way. That'd be good to remember with the heavy divorce rate. They're just things that people have learned intellectually, but they just don't seem to get them done. So if you don't watch it, you're going to forget those things that you come week after week. I have to go to flight training when I was active in aviation every six months to reskill. Make sure you haven't gotten complacent. Make sure you haven't forgotten anything so you don't have freak out time when an emergency occurs. It's automatic. 
honey, do you remember coming out of Savannah, Georgia? No, we were coming to Savannah, Georgia, out of Jacksonville, Florida, in a big twin-engine airplane. And uh, I had eight people on board. My wife was one of them. And we blew the right engine. I mean, that sucker just blew up. And everybody went freak out on the airplane. There were some white folks on that plane that got real white when that engine blew up. I mean, this was no small thing. But I'm sitting over there calm. And I remember the associate pastor who was sitting just riding along in the co-pilot's seat was having a fit. And he said, I calmed down when you said, I got this. I said, I was trained for this. I practiced this. I've done this hundreds of times. It's fine. Now, how could I say that? Because I'd been trained for it. I knew exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and it got us home with one engine. My point was I'd been trained, trained in first aid, trained in water safety instructor. Okay, you're here in church. You have on a pretty dress, a nice perfume. You got a color-coordinated Bible, a new fancy trans. Can you remember? Can you remember what you've been taught? Now, that problem is still a problem, but... For God's sake, here's what Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. I plan to keep on reminding you of these things, even though you already know them. But see, most people going through a crisis don't need to learn a new truth. They need to bring up and remember an old truth. So the Bible principle is remember the things that you know and that you've been taught. How about that? How do I handle this? For first, I'm going to remember what I've been taught from Scripture how to do. Then there may be some counsel from others who have been through it for a little bit of extra wisdom. But what good is a crisis going to do if you don't remember what you're supposed to do? People that train in martial arts regularly can't wait till there's somebody trying to mug them to figure out, wait a minute, i got to read the book here. i got to see how am I supposed to handle this. Too late. It's too late. When a job is lost, when the doctor gives you a bad prognosis and says, uh, we think this is whatever, whatever, now, that's a good freak-out time, especially if it's in the family. But you can't lose your mind. you got to say, I am a covenant Christian. I have been bought by the blood of Jesus. By his stripes, I have been healed. I'm not a victim in this thing. I'm not waving a white flag. I'm not going into panic. I'm going into attack mode. I'm going to fight, and I'm going to get friends to fight with me. I'm going to bring some good people around me, and we're going to pray, and we're going to rebuke with God's word, and we're going to stand against this thing. I'm not... I'm not a victim. The enemy's already attacking you, hoping you just forget and go to pieces and give up. Just lay down and let him walk on you. No, no. If you're going to get me, you're going to have to fight for me. You, it ain't going to be pretty and it's not going to be easy. But I'm not going to let you have your way. I'm going to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So remember your training. Number three, Scott, now here's one. Scott had to act on what he did know and remember. And that's the distinction between those who go to church and those who live for Christ. There's a difference between learning it and living it. It's a lot easier to be a learner than to go out and live it. It always is. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 9. Keep putting into practice everything you learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. See, people who are learning are not always receiving. How many people do you know who have been in church for years, taught that they are forgiven by God? They learned it. 
but they're still unforgiving to somebody who hurt them. How many have been taught that there to be people who give? But how many non-giving Christians do you know? Tons. See, what you learn and what you live are not the same. Scott said, I had to believe in what I'd been taught. Act on what you already know. And here's the principle, James 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Don't just learn it, believe it. You don't get transformed until you obey it. You got to do it. Devil believes the Bible. He believes in Jesus. He just doesn't obey. He's probably a member of every church in town. So we have substituted learning for transformation. We think because they can quote scripture back doesn't mean I'm living it or obeying it at all. I could, I could get people to probably quote two or three scriptures from memory on giving who haven't given a dime ever. Or people that know they ought to forgive and they still have bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody. Generational unforgiveness, Hatfield and McCoys, stuff like that. Crazy. Now that word of God is supposed to rule in me. I'm not supposed to trump scripture. Scripture's supposed to trump and rule over me. I want to be a doer of God's word, not just a good listener. Number four, when it became clear he wasn't going to be rescued immediately, Scott now had to establish some clear priorities. He said most people miss it because they misplace their priorities. They lose sight of what's really important. They lose sight of what they need to be doing. In Scott's case, he said his priority now was not getting out. His priority was don't get caught. If your priority, he said, is to get out, you'll usually make a mistake and get caught. So priority number one is make sure you don't get caught. Um, every day he said, I could hear airplanes flying overhead. He had an emergency beacon locator. He could have turned it on and he could have spoken on his walkie-talkie. But he knew the militia soldiers were so close that if he turned on the locator and spoke on the radio, they could hear him and discover him. He had to wait in silence. And folks, in life, if you don't have your priorities right, Life never works out right. See, my priority for today is not having a good day. My priority is having a God day. This is the day the Lord has made. It's not mine anyway. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then a lot of the chaos around you seems to work its way out. Last night on our panel on our first Saturday, uh, Demetrius, who is a professional uh, psychologist and counselor, said most of the people that come to him for, for, for counseling want a quick fix. Make it, make it go away quick. And once in a while, somebody gets a quick fix. Once in a while, there may be a miracle. But in general, if you've had a longstanding problem, it's going to get fixed it's not quick. Um, I sat next to a guy who builds retirement homes on an airplane several years ago. And I said to him, I said, how do you know when somebody's going to die? And he said, and I was shocked. He said, oh, that's easy. When they fall, they can't get back up. Then they stop eating and then they go into decline. And then it's just a matter of time before they, they die. Boy, my, I mean, bam, 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 my, my brain just went off with a, like a red light. And I thought, if you can't take a hit and get back up, you're dead. Oh, you're going to heaven. But if you can't take a fall, a setback, a hit, 
and recover, you're finished. How many Christians have just quit God and quit church because they went through a difficult time? Listen, the time to draw near to God is more often when you're in trouble. You don't want to move away from God. Don't run from God. Run to God. Get close to him. One of the guys that was out of church for five years because his brother committed suicide and it just tore him up and he walked off the stage as a praise leader at Hillsong in Sydney and he never darkened the door for five years. He got into alcoholism and drugs. He just got into depression. He just lost his life practically. When he came back to church, he made this statement and I was there and I heard it. And he said, and I quote, I discovered it was better to suffer in the house where there's hope and help than to suffer outside the house where there is no hope and there is no help. Folks, bring your problem to Jesus. I don't know about you, but even on my bad day, after coming to church and meeting friends and worshiping God and hearing the word, I feel like I'm going to make it when I leave. You know, the problem's still there, but I feel like it's going to be all right. I've always felt encouraged when I walked in discouraged. Anybody but me ever have that feeling? You can vote, folks. Come on. Wave your hand. I won't make you charismatic if you raise your hand. Go ahead. You need to practice. Okay. So I I just never forgot that statement. You know, you could could dig a financial ditch, and you could get into Bill Sitter's uh, financial freedom class, and you thought, well, I thought this would be over in a week. And then people will exploit you in the church. Sometimes some uh, cool guy will walk in and say, all right, God told me if you'll give $1,000 tonight, he's going to give you a hundredfold in 30 days. And suckers will take that and run with it. No scripture in the Bible for that. The Bible teaches give and you shall receive. In the same measure you give, you shall receive. I can sow myself out of debt, but if I've gotten into deep financial trouble, I'm going to need a little bit of counsel too. I'm going to have to cut my expenses, stop doing some things I have been enjoying doing. I'm going to have to get my finances in balance. I'm going to have to make good choices. I'm going to have to learn to honor God with my tithe little by little. And it may be inconvenient and hard for a while, but I'm coming out of that ditch. I will not stay in that ditch, but I can't get out quick but we love quick don't we who doesn't love quick you know you've had a bad marriage for 10 years and then finally the wife says or her husband says I want a divorce or whatever you maybe you run to the altar and somebody prays for you and the spirit of God may touch you and you fall under God's peace and power and then you get back up God touched you you feel so encouraged you confessed you want God to bless Listen, when you get home, she still hates your guts, okay? You hadn't done anything to change anything. Hopefully, you changed. And in time, by making better choices, learning some wisdom, remembering what you've been taught about how to deal with a spouse and how to deal with relationships, in time, generally, you can sow yourself into a good relationship. But you don't get trust back on a weekend, right? Thank you, ma'am. I'm over here. Yeah, thank you. I like that laugh. I mean, I, what, what dumb church are you going to? Thinks just because I pray for you and God's power touches you and go, whoa, and your straight hair perms and you get slain in the spirit and you got more floor time than the rug. When you get up, she ain't going to like you. You're going to have to start doing some new things to build trust and confidence because you've lost that. 
So I want you to be in it for the long haul. You have need of endurance that after you've done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. Having done all to stand. I've done everything, God. Stand. I don't want to hear that. I want to fix. Give me a pill. Give me a shot. Having done all to stand. Stand. Remember when I had that reaction to Traumadol, when I had that little bit of outpatient surgery on my rotator cuff, and I had that severe reaction, went into panic, went into shaking, emotion, couldn't lie down, couldn't sleep, walk in the floor, and my son-in-law, who's a surgeon, did some Google with Traumadol, and he said, okay, they ran all the tests on you, your blood, your urine, your heart, EKG, brain, they did everything. You're perfect. I'm perfect, but I'm falling apart because of that, that chemical in my body. So he started figuring the half-life of that drug, Traumadol, and how it breaks down each 24-hour period. And he says, Dad, I reckon it's going to take you 7 to 10 days for it to clear your body, and then these side effects will stop. Well, i got to tell you something. That did not sound good to me at all. (laughs) You mean there's nothing I can drink, eat, or do to speed this sucker up? Nope. You're just going to have to stay up at night and walk and pray, and you're going to have to sip soup broth your wife makes you because you got no appetite. You're just going to have to suck it up and do what you've been doing for a week. And sure enough, at 4 o'clock on the sixth day, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I was hungry. I mean ravenously hungry. I could eat two Whopper burgers. I could just, I wanted a French fry. I wanted mayonnaise. I wanted everything I never eat. I wanted it. Now, I still couldn't lie down, couldn't sleep, but that one part that the autoimmune system and your neurological systems, it, that got well. So I was, I was still not in a good place, but I, I knew I'm coming out. I'm coming out of this thing. That's just one little shot. And then day by day, it just got better, and it got better. But no quick fix. Stay in the fight. You may have to stay in it a week. You may have to stay in it a year. You may have to fight it for a couple of years. But endure to the end. Endure hardship as a good soldier. So the Bible principle is putting first things first. Christianity is not a timeshare program where 1.7 times a month you go to church. Then you live your life the way you want to. So Scott went on to say that after he became clear he wasn't going to get out immediately, he had to deal with his worst enemy, and his worst enemy was not the militia or his circumstances. It was the games his mind wanted to play on him. So he had to learn to avoid negative thinking. Scott said within seconds he could become his own worst enemy because he could see and hear the militia all around him. So he had to work on not allowing himself to become, I'll never get out of this. Oh, I don't want to play the blame game. It's my fault. What did I do wrong? Now, there's a thought for some believers to work on not becoming negative. Hmm. Scott said his mind wanted to play the blame game. Whose fault is it I'm here? Why me? Why me? What did I do wrong? But it's the old adage, you can't fix a problem while you're fixing blame. He said his mind also wanted to get into the feel sorry for myself game. But the Bible principle is Philippians 4, verse 8. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That means I, you, can choose wisely what I think on. 
Don't let your head and your thoughts take you down a road you can't get back from. So those are things Jesus tells us to do in handling problems. He tells us, keep our focus. Don't lose your confidence. Remember what you've been taught. Do what you have learned. And he says, make sure he's first in your life. And he tells us, every thought that comes to my head isn't from God. Take it captive. And finally, Scott recognized he couldn't dwell on his mistakes. See, in survival school, you're taught some specific things. One of those is that you can live without food pretty good while, but you can't live without water. The first night he hid, and the militia was in five feet, he knew, I've got to get a better place further away. So that night he crawled for two hours. Then he realized he had left behind one of his two canteens. And you can begin to focus on what you did wrong so that pretty soon you discourage yourself. Well, I could have done that. Well, I should have done that. Scott said, I had to let go of my mistake. Don't dwell on your mistakes. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. Philippians 3, verse 13. No, brothers and sisters, I'm still not all I should be. But I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Let go of the past. So, do you have a strategy for handling problems? You know they're coming. Is there a strategy? If you don't, you're a victim waiting to happen. And just as Scott O'Grady did certain natural things to survive, there are spiritual things we can do to handle the problems in life. We got a picture, Scott, coming out of the helicopter. Okay, that's him on the deck after he's rescued behind enemy lines. We'll get you home, and God tells you he'll get you home. He will get you through this. Don't you surrender. Don't you give up. Don't you, don't you fail to fight. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.